Hi again. How's everybody? Good. I am sure that you have seen on the internet or in magazines personality quizzes that ask who you are. For example, which breed of dog are you? Which Disney princess are you? Which character from Friends are you? Are you a Monica or are you a Rachel? And then after five or six questions, you find out, OMG, I'm a Phoebe. <laughs> I have a genius business idea where I would craft quizzes like this about Bible characters. Are you a Mary or are you a Martha? Are you a Simon or are you a Peter? <gasps> Trick question, those two are the same. And then a little box would pop up and say, do you want to learn more? And then it would take you to a Bible lesson. I don't know how to make this. I don't know how to monetize it, but someone in this room does, so let me know. In the meantime, here's my first quiz. Are you a Pharisee or are you a tax collector? Ooh, both sound so tempting. Okay. I'll tell you about both Pharisees and tax collectors so that you can make an informed choice. Before we dive into their similarities and differences though, I wanna say that Jesus kind of makes a case both for and against the Pharisee and the tax collector in the story that we just heard. And I wanna remind you that both of these individuals are Jewish. It's really important to remember that Jesus is also Jewish. Any criticism that he has is not a critique on Jews or Judaism overall. It's meant to be a commentary on how these particular characters practice the faith that he also shares. I know that you know this, but it's important to say it in a world that unfortunately and infuriatingly still includes anti-Semitism. That would also be a little box that pops up during the quiz. Okay, so first to the Pharisee. In ancient Palestine, there were different groups that each practiced Judaism in kind of a particular way. Pharisees were the group that was known for strictly observing Jewish law. They lived by the book, literally. They were also pretty well respected and some of them were also politically powerful. Additionally, some of Jesus' friends and followers were Pharisees, including Nicodemus, the disciple Joseph, and even the apostle Paul was a follower of the Pharisees. So now you might be thinking, ooh, maybe I'm a Pharisee. Okay, let's talk about how this particular Pharisee from this story prayed at the temple. Our Pharisee goes to the temple to pray, but once he starts praying, it turns out that his prayer is all about himself. Thank God I'm not like other people. Thank God I'm not a thief or an adulterer or like that tax collector that's standing right over there. I go above and beyond my religious duties. I can imagine he ends his prayer with, aren't you lucky to have me? Amen. <laughs> so now you might be thinking, yeah, I'm not sure I wanna be this Pharisee. What's my other option? Thanks for asking. Your other option is a tax collector. Ancient Palestinian tax collectors were super wealthy. Essentially, they said to Rome, I'll pay you in advance for the right to collect taxes. And then they would go out and squeeze as much money as possible from the people. The more money they took from people, the more profit they would make and the richer they would get. 
As you might imagine, tax collectors were absolutely despised. Fellow Jews considered them traitors, they were often very corrupt, and by Jewish religious standards, they were also considered unclean. No self-respecting Jew would associate with a tax collector. They were considered the scum of the earth. Okay, so now you're like, no thanks, I'm not a tax collector either. But let's talk about how this particular tax collector prays. The story says the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee, for all who exalt themselves will be humbled and all who humble themselves will be exalted. We came to this story assuming that the tax collector would be awful. And don't get me wrong, his actions are awful, and Jesus knows that too. It's important to note that Jesus does not say that the corruption and the stealing and the injustices are okay. And the tax collector's heartfelt prayer does not make up for his actions. In other words, thoughts and prayers are not enough. And yet the tax collector is, at the very least, self-aware. We perhaps leave the story feeling hopeful that this tax collector will turn out like some of the others in the Gospels who right their wrongs and pay the people back with interest. Okay, so there you have it. Which one are you? This Pharisee, devoted to God, but pretty full of himself? Or the tax collector, hated and corrupt, but surprisingly humble? Chances are you walk away from the story thinking, thank God I'm not like either of these people. Which ironically is the exact prayer that you were so critical of. This parable is surprisingly clever. The good news is that Jesus is not challenging us to a quiz. He's not asking us to decide which one of these people we are. Like most parables, it's more complicated than that. The text seems to be calling us to notice how you came to the story assuming one thing and then finding another. To notice how you simultaneously see yourself in both individuals and find things that you dislike about each of them. Perhaps most importantly, we are called to notice how you walked away from the story no longer seeing roles or titles, but seeing two more fully formed human beings, both in need of help, both transformed by prayer. It's the prayer piece of this story that most intrigues me because it's the prayers that allowed us to see their humanity. And so too do I think that prayer can allow us to better see ourselves and each other. With God's help, such genuine expression liberates us from the barriers and the binaries of the world. From are you a Monica or a Rachel? Are you a man or a woman? Are you a Pharisee or a tax collector? And reveals what we truly are, a beloved child of God. The other day, my friends Karen and Elizabeth stopped by my house to drop something off. And they knocked on the door, but it took me a few minutes to respond because I was deep cleaning my kitchen and I needed to wash my hands before I greeted them. And when I finally opened the door, Karen said, what were you doing in there, praying? And I laughed and I laughed because like many, I don't spend hours and hours praying. 
I don't set aside special time or go to a special place in order to pray. But I have a theory that all of us are praying more often than we realize. For example, when you are driving your car and the car in front of you is driving very slowly and you approach a stoplight and the slow car makes it through the intersection, but you are stopped at the red light and you say out loud, oh my God, I believe that's a prayer. (laughs) When you come home to your house and you find that your dog has had an accident all over the carpet, and then you round the corner and you realize that that accident extends through the living room and you whisper to yourself, Jesus Christ. (laughs) I believe that that is a prayer. (laughs) On a serious note, when you see images of bombings in Ukraine or the humanitarian crisis in Haiti or the women who are being violently persecuted in Iran, or a mass shooting in the next state over, or the fires and the floods caused by climate change, and you say out loud, God, what is going on? I believe that that's a prayer. When you're out for a walk and you see the moon rising, huge and orange, and you pause to look at it through the trees, and you think, what a miracle that something so beautiful exists and that I get to exist too. Maybe you don't even articulate it like that. Maybe you don't say anything at all. But just being there and noticing the moon in that special moment, I believe that's a prayer. In her book, An Altar in the World, theologian Barbara Brown Taylor writes, the next time you go to the grocery store, try engaging the cashier. You do not have to invite her home for lunch or anything, but take a look at her face while she's trying to find arugula on her laminated list of produce. Here is someone who exists even when she is not ringing up your groceries, as hard as that may be for you to imagine. She has a home she returns to when she hangs up her apron here, a kitchen that smells of last night's supper, a bed where she occasionally lies awake at night, wrestling with her own angels and demons. You saved $11.06 by shopping at Winn-Dixie today, she says, looking right at you. All that is required is that you look back. Just meet her eyes for a moment when you say, thanks. In this story, that eye contact and that thanks, I believe, is a prayer. Without words, we're acknowledging what a miracle it is that we crossed paths, existing in the world together at this exact moment. I wonder how Jesus' story would have changed if the Pharisee and the tax collector had met eyes like this. What if they had realized all that they have in common, followers of the same Jewish faith, worshiping at the same temple, praying to the same God? What if, instead of standing far apart, the tax collector had looked right at the Pharisee and the Pharisee had chosen to look back? I will tell you which one I think I am. Between the Pharisee and the tax collector, I'm the Pharisee. Because how many times have I said to myself, thank God I'm not like that person. Thank God I don't live in that part of town. Thank God I don't have that job. Thank God I don't hold those political beliefs. What would it be like to practice a little less, thank God I'm not you, and a little more, thank God for you? I don't know. 
But what I think this story is about is that God is calling us to dig deeply within ourselves the way that the tax collector did and get in touch with our deepest sighs, our biggest hurt, our greatest longings, that authentic part that escapes with the words, good God, when we see violent images, that tender peace that cries at videos of dogs being reunited with their owners, that genuine awe at the world's impossible beauty. That's the piece of ourselves that God is asking us to pray with. That's the piece that's gonna allow us to not only ask, dear God, how can I love others as you do, but also how to figure out the answer. Years ago at Camp Akita, we welcomed a sixth grader with autism. Children with autism have attended Akita for years, but unfortunately, this particular camper had some violent outbursts, throwing rocks, saying some threatening words, and despite our conversations with him, he ended up lashing out against a bunkmate. Parents and staff agreed for everyone's safety, it was time for this camper to head home. I'm not gonna lie to you, after I made that call, I thought to myself, thank God this kid is going home. I drove the camper and his counselor back to Columbus. I was in the driver's seat and both of them sat in the back seat behind me. I kept looking in the rearview mirror at them as they talked about a whole host of things, comic books, movies. And then the camper said, am I gonna miss the talent show? And I looked in the rearview mirror again and made split second eye contact with the counselor. And in that millisecond, we shared the realization that this camper did not fully understand that he was going home. And in that look, I could see the counselor's heart breaking. But he took a breath and he responded, yeah, you are gonna miss it, but that just means you'll be extra ready for it next year. I believe that that was a prayer. That was a pleading moment with God. It was a genuine wish that things could be different. Not a thank God you're leaving, but a dear God, I hope you can come back. Prayer gives us the opportunity to try to articulate our greatest need. Sometimes it's shouted as we look down at the ground, beating our chests, and sometimes it's a two-word whisper. Other times it's shared eye contact, and a lot of times it happens in the car. No matter what it looks like, this story tells me that prayer can change us. In prayer, we are invited to imagine speaking face to face with a spirit that is 100% in love with us and 0% judgmental towards us, who knows us better than we know ourselves and who greets us with nothing but care. If we were given the chance to say anything to that spirit, wouldn't that in and of itself be transformative? we get to find out for ourselves. Thank God.